0: This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create positive change in the world every day by being a conscious consumer. I'm your host, Laura Alexander-Wittig, founder of Brightly.Eco, and I started this podcast a few years ago because I wanted a place to talk about the gray areas around sustainability and how being a conscious consumer can be challenging and confusing but it's totally doable. So join me in the name of reducing waste and living positively in the name of the planet. All right, good together, listeners. If you are the type of person who jumps up and down whenever I share a statistic on this podcast, this is the episode for you. If you're not, I still think you're going to get a lot out of what I'm going to talk about today because I personally find it fascinating, and I would think that if you've been listening to the podcast for even just a few episodes, you'll probably share some of the same interests that I have. Otherwise, why are you listening? <laughs> um, so, hey, listeners, this is Laura, um, as always, and. Today I'm hopping in with another solo episode. So, you know, we are trying these out, we keep getting great feedback, so I will hop in from time to time to talk about, you know, things that I'm seeing in, in my life, um, whether it's, you know, sharing my uh, food waste uh, tips or talking about DIY projects, clean beauty, etc. But also, because I am the host of this podcast and the founder and CEO of Brightly, I get a lot of really interesting things sent my way from time to time, so nonprofits or um, studies that have been done. Like we hear a lot, a lot about these uh, awesome uh, things going on in the world of conscious consumerism and really climate change awareness. So occasionally, I'll hop in here to talk about this with you. So today, we're going to talk about something that I find to be, like I said, super interesting, and that is, you know. The amount of people in the United States who seem to actually agree on climate change policies is much more than I thought. Um, and you know why I thought that? Because I do think there's a bunch of different, I don't know, what do you call it, um, like, sowing of divisiveness in this country, right? We have so many people on one side of the, the aisle, quote unquote, or others, we also just have a lot of people who are, in my mind, completely incapable of having any kind of, like, debate with somebody who disagrees with them, right? So you might try and say something to them and, you know, just try and have, like, a normal thoughtful conversation, but I find, like, more and more it just seems really difficult to do that. Like, people just get so personally offended by the fact that you may or may not agree with them, and it's just, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a pain, right? <laughs> um, But... When this study came out, um, I was really surprised. So Yale, like Yale, the the university, has a program called the Yale Program on Climate Change Communication. It's a really fascinating arm of, I believe, believe it's their School of Environment, and then it's a partnership with their um, journalism related resources on that campus. I've been following this program for a while because they are all about how media, journalists, podcasters like me, etc. can talk about climate change with people and do it in a way that is informative and not scary. And as you know, like that's a big reason why I started this podcast. So when I saw Yale cared about that, I thought, well, that's cool. (laughs) So um, I've been involved with them uh, for a little bit, just um, on the sidelines. And they recently sent me this report, um, and it's called Climate Change in the American Mind, Politics and policy. Um, And they actually partnered with George Mason Mason University um, to do a big study. So what did they do? Did the big study. They surveyed about a thousand people. um, And the results really did, like I said, show something promising, which is that of the people they polled, um, registered voters really are all about protecting the planet. And we're going to talk a little bit more about those results. So it was a pretty solid mix of people that's why I was really excited about this, right? Like, you could poll one side or the other and kind of receive results that you were expecting, right? Like, we all have certain stereotypes about what political is going to think what, um, and unfortunately, usually those stereotypes aren't completely off base. That being said, this study actually had a decent swath of, of people that they talked to, so um, of the polling that they did, 49% were Democrats, were Republicans and 11% were independents. And I would love to talk to those independents because I'm always like, how are they defining this nowadays, right? Like when I was in school, you may or may not know, I was a um, political science and journalism double major. So obviously this kind of stuff is right up my alley, but also like, I feel like the definition of independent is so different from back when I was in college, which wasn't that long ago, but also was a long time ago. Like, (laughs) <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna date myself but listeners you know I'm in my mid 30s so there we go okay so let's let's talk about like what people agreed on because we know exactly what they disagreed on <laughs> so anyway what they agreed on so <clears throat> roughly half of these folks said that global warming should be a high or very high priority for the president and Congress so fifty four percent um not surprising right that that seems to say that it should be a high or very high priority you know, as much as I'd like everyone to agree on that, I think that there also are other issues at play here. But, but an even higher amount of people, 66% of these people said that developing sources of clean energy should be a high, very high priority for the president and Congress. So that's exciting. And as we go further into that specific conservation and restoration policies that people were excited about, I mean, this is what I love. So as I go down and read these, we're looking at at least 75% agreement across the board. So all of the parties, all of these folks, like people want to, number one, provide federal funding to help farmers improve practices to protect and restore the soil so it absorbs and stores more carbon. That's cool. Like we have talked about companies that are doing these types of initiatives in the past. We will specifically pull some out in the show notes, um, but there are so many cool carbon Um, capture type projects going on in the field of agriculture. So the fact that 82% of these people polled said, regardless of what party they were in, said, look, we want to help fund that with the federal government. Yes, absolutely. Um, The same amount of people also said they supported creating more parks and green spaces um, in low-income communities and communities of color. So I also find that to be a win across the board. I mean, who doesn't want another park? I mean, we'd think nobody, but Oftentimes you get into the brass tacks on the local level. You can run into a lot of what they call NIMBYs, not in my backyard, but I'd like to think that parks and green spaces are something that we we can prioritize. Um, The next thing that they they talked about, which I find to be, you know, also very interesting, is the topic of green energy. So there were a bunch of different... um, And the other thing I'll mention within the the course of this, um, this study, all these questions that they were asking these people had real life, um, examples. So it's not like they're just like, if there was a magic person that appeared on this planet and said that they could solve climate change, would you say yes or no? Like, it's not silly like that. It's like the, um, the federal funding to help farmers improve practices around carbon capture with soil. Like, that's a real thing. Um, and there's real initiatives going on behind the scenes about that. So I preface that because when we think about green energy, there's a lot going on in that space as well. So, I mean, across the board here, over 75% polled agreeing on these things, but like providing tax rebates to people who have solar panels or purchase energy efficient, uh, sorry, um, energy efficient or even solar vehicles, or solar powered vehicles. Um, you know, we want to make sure that residential buildings in low income communities ha- are more energy efficient. Um, there is a, this one was super interesting. So there, they love to, um, almost everyone was in agreement about developing a national program to train people from low-income communities and communities of color for new jobs in the renewable energy industry, like wind and solar. Um, I think that in today's day and age where we have so many people going through job transitions, right? Like, there's a, you know, there's so many layoffs unfortunately going on. There's also, you know, a big divide, I think, between What our economy is used to paying for service industry jobs, and what we as a society need to be paid to have living wages like, there's just so much turmoil going on there. And so, from my perspective, the more that we can get people into these jobs that require more training, but jobs that are going to be around for a super long time and are jobs that we need, like jobs in wind and solar, um, you know whenever you start getting worried, like we all do, <laughs> about AI taking our jobs, which we've talked about this a ton at brightly, but I I love AI. I think it's really amazing. There's so many cool um, applications of it, but let's think, you know, if we all want to think about protecting our jobs, like, what are things that we can do that computers probably aren't going to be able to do for us for a long time? I would think, you know, more some of this more mechanical stuff, more of these, uh, uh, you know, what we call it uh doing things with your hands, um and then of course, talking on podcasts, right? I guess hmm <laughs> I guess that we could maybe train a model on my voice i I don't think it would do as good a job though I don't know, I don't know see um, and then the last two things in this uh you know green energy perspective, <clears throat> I'd say is you know we there's there's a lot of support for um a, another program to retrain people who used to work in the fossil fuel industry to go work in the renewable energy industry which that's really interesting. And um, then finally a broad agreement here on tax credits um you know if if to incentivize people to buy more conscious consumerism items like uh you know uh appliances that are more energy efficient. Um so that to me is really really what it's all about. Like we've talked a lot about you as a consumer making that conscious choice. But most of the time when you're doing that, it's totally up to you. It's a little bit more expensive for you and you kind of have to do that. But if the government's going to give you a tax credit, really like giving you the ability to write that off, um, that's huge. So I'm super excited about that. Um, Other, you know, key things that came out of this report. Um, Number one, like people are excited to build local energy infrastructure meaning, you know, for the most part, people are excited about solar and wind farms. Um, There is some support for stuff like electric vehicle charging stations, um, and then things like high-voltage power lines that are going to distribute the clean energy. One thing that there's not a lot of support of, and I'm not uh, surprised by this one, given all the uh, current, not really current events, but like, I'd say current media around uh, this topic is nuclear power plants. Like, only 34% of the people polled here um, in this study were in support of that. And if you haven't listened to the episode on nuclear power that I did with my husband, Eric, who was a nuclear engineer on um, a submarine for a big part of his career, you've got to go listen to it because he has the most interesting perspective on it. I mean, we actually were just watching, um, there was the Netflix, uh, it's not a documentary. It's a, um, what's it called when, when it's a show, it's like based on something. It's like based on a true story, right? I'm not, not, anyway, guys, you bear with me, but we watched the the one that was talking about, um, the, uh, Fukushima incident. And, you know, it's always a little bit frightening watching those things with him because he's over here like, well, if I would have done this, someone would have done that. And, or or he'll say something like, "Oh yeah, they're screwed," and so it's all, that's always a lot of fun to listen to. <laughs> um, but yes, only thirty four percent of people wanted that to happen, and I, I'm my personal thoughts on that are I'm I'm conflicted. Like I do think, in theory, right? In theory, nuclear power is like the best thing ever because you're able to get so much energy from very little resources. The problem happens when we think about disposal of waste, which we've gotten better at, to be clear, but it's not great still. And, you know, there's just, to me, there's too much human error potential here, as we've seen in some of those past incidents, um, that, that just gives me pause. Maybe that's something we can get the computers to do. Although, you know, me over here like an old people, old person. AR get the but then then maybe that turns into like a Terminator situation. So maybe we don't want them to do that. I don't know. Okay, um, this is really where okay. So we we've kind of talked about where people were in agreement, um, and then now we started to talk a little bit about where they're starting to, to disagree. Um, you know, specific nuclear power, which that's an easy one to think people disagree. Um, but here's where I really honed in on, because it, it just is so much all about what we do on this podcast with Brightly, which is the willingness of people to take political actions to reduce global warming. Um, and if you're familiar with the way a lot of these studies work, um, anytime you hear any statistic that says blank amount of people are going to do, you know, X, Y, and Z, it's from a study like this, and then they just extrapolate it over the rest of the United States, or the rest of, like, whatever group of people they're talking about. So, like, it's not that they literally pulled everyone, it's that, you know, they're extrapolating it. So, with this study, as I've been going through and saying, like, oh, 70% of people agree with this, 70% of people agree with that, like, you know, of course, it's based on the data that we're getting from this limited poll of people, but in my mind, it is tracking with what I've experienced. So, willingness to take political actions to reduce global warming. So, this is where it starts to get a little bit more divisive and also where it starts to get a little bit more, I don't know if I'd say depressing, but like, this is kind of where the rubber hits the road. So let's talk about it. So roughly half of those people, uh, of people, let's just, going forward, I'm just going to say of people, of registered voters, right? Because that's who who they're extrapolating this to. Registered U.S. voters say that they would sign a petition about global warming. Now that to me is interesting like why would you not not sign a petition I mean perhaps the reason why people didn't weren't more agreeable to it because to me it seems like a no-brainer maybe it's because that's kind of vague like what does that petition actually say and in which case you could probably think well maybe I wouldn't just blanketly say I'm gonna sign a petition if I don't know what's on it however the last the next few things are less vague only 32% of people polled said that they would donate money to an organization working on global warming. Again, maybe there's some nuance there saying like, well, what is this organization actually doing to fight against global warming, which is a valid question. But to me, that seems pretty low. Um, this one, this one really hurt me. 30% of people said that they would contact government officials about global warming. So we're, we're saying like, you know, just a small amount of people polled would, not, would just even contact their representative about global warming. And I want to be clear here, listeners, Like people often conflate the term global warming with climate change. I don't compl- conflate them, right? Like We know that to some extent, global warming is causing climate change, but they're not interchangeable. Um, to me, global warming is much more specific than the concept, quote unquote, of climate change. So for for me not contacting my representative especially when it's you know applicable maybe I wouldn't just go out of my way to randomly contact them but if there was something that was going to come up which I'll tell you there are plenty of policies um that come up around specifically around global warming that's 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 depressing to me maybe it's because they think it's too hard maybe we need to do better for that I mean that 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 was super interesting um 30, about the same amount of people, right? 30% said that they would... Uh, 30% of people polled said that they would volunteer their time to, to an organization working on global warming. Um, and about the same amount of people said they would even meet with the elected official, their staff, about global warming. Again, we could speculate as to why this is. Um, again, maybe it's a little bit too vague for people. I also think, too, like, the vast majority of us, myself included, I feel like don't think we know enough about global warming maybe to feel like we're... Maybe we have a little bit of imposter syndrome saying, okay, well, what would I even talk to um, my representative about, like, specifically about global warming? So perhaps there's a bit of a cheat sheet we can come up for you, because I have a few ideas here in my head. I'm not going to get into them right now, but I think that there might be a few talking points that we could all come together on and and think through. Okay. I also, if you can't tell, I'm getting over a slight cold, so apologies if my voice is a bit weird. Let's see. Okay, the next is... Part is where it gets spicy, but it's not necessarily the spicy thing it's going to be. So the next two questions that they asked these folks were about civil, nonviolent civil disobedience. Um, and I laugh because I'm like, I wonder if people would actually admit to something like that. I don't know. But one in four registered voters would support an organization engaging in non-violent civil disobedience against corporate or government activities that make global warming worse yeah. And I mean, depending on what the definition of that one is, I'm totally in for it, right? Like we need to make sure, I mean, we had, um, uh, the, the gentleman that had, uh, chained himself to believe it was Chase Bank. Um, Peter, Peter Kalmus, that's right. Um, Dr. Peter Kalmus, And that was a fascinating, uh, podcast. You've got to go back and listen, but that to me is a great example where, and that probably, yeah, I would suppose what he, what he was doing certainly was Civil disobedience, and it certainly wasn't violent, so I don't see why we would uh, not support something like that. But that's just me. That's just me. Um, and then fifteen percent, so much much smaller amount of people said that they would personally engage in such nonviolent civil disobedience. So although, and then there's a caveat here, although this fifteen percent said that they would be willing to do something like that only 5% said that, that we'd willing to get arrested as part of such an action. So Dr. Peter Kalmus was arrested um, for his, um, you know, disobedience and chaining himself to that um, the bank headquarters. So again, this is not overly surprising. <laughs> not overly surprising. So the last bit of this, which we'll, we'll kind of close up the statistics and I'll offer a few more thoughts here, is who should act. We talk a lot about who should act, and I like to talk a lot about actions that we as consumers can do, but I also know that you, and I I share the same thoughts, think that, of course, corporations and industries should act. I mean, 70% said, of course. The Congress, U.S. Congress, 63%. Uh, the parties, the main parties, the Democrats and Republicans, yes. Um, and I mean, the list just goes on and on. Everybody's just saying yes. <laughs> like, why wouldn't you say that? I mean, I suppose you could vote down the quote unquote citizens themselves. That was the piece that um, was polled, I suppose, if you really felt like you had already done all you could do. You could vote that one down. Um, however, half of people polled here said they themselves should be doing more to personally address global warming. And if they asked me, which they didn't, I was not part of this poll, I would agree. I would say, of course, there's more I could be doing to address global warming. Now, you could argue that not only am I doing a lot in my personal life, but of course I'm doing a ton in my professional life. I've dedicated my whole life uh professional career to helping just talk more about conscious consumerism and you know by proxy addressing global warming. And of course there's more specific things I could be doing and that's why I would put myself still in that camp if I could be doing more. Um again, I think in general just making sure we're aware of what's going on, making sure that when we have some of these catastrophic weather events, that we look into what's actually going on, right? And, and understand how global warming is affecting global weather patterns is very interesting. And if you've ever wanted to light a fire under yourself about that, go look and see what type of disaster zones you're in. Because I guarantee you're in some type of one. I, myself, having lived on the West Coast for a long time in various parts of the West Coast... My uh risk level has just gone all over the place from being really close to wildfires and right sitting on top of a fault line literally when I was in the bay area to um being at, you know, high risk of rising sea levels um and catastrophic events of that nature here now when I'm in Seattle. So, just depending on where I am, good luck for me. Um but you could also choose to live in perhaps less of a volatile in the United States or really around the world That being said we're all affected by these types of things And you know think about the folks Unfortunately in Chicago just last week At the time of this recording Who had the worst air quality And it certainly was in a country I can't remember if it was in the world or not But it was terrible because of the wildfires that were happening In Canada So I would just tell us listeners like, As a society And as conscious consumers The first thing we should always be doing is researching it and being curious and understanding more and not necessarily being like, Oh, well, these woods are on fire because of climate change. It's not necessarily the case. Like sometimes there's, you know, specific reasons for that. You should also listen, I had a fascinating um episode with um somebody who did does prescribed burns um and is a a firefighter that does that. And she and I had a great conversation. We'll link that in the show notes, but I, I say that because the whole wildfire situation is much more nuanced than you just think think about it if you just immediately jumped to conclusions like that. So be curious. Um and remember, like the last statistic I'll leave you with is like of this of people polled, only eleven percent of registered voters of this poll think that the US government is responding well to global warming. Yeah, I agree with that too. I mean, I would say in general the US government is responding well to nothing. (laughs) I mean, I just think we have so much red tape at our disposal, and it doesn't ever really seem like we're having progress on many things. That's my own personal view. But I mean, neither here nor there. That's a conversation for another day. But um, no, I, I think that we have got to do better in terms of holding corporations accountable. A lot of that starts from the top, right? It starts from the government. But again, we as consumers can continue to make um, different purchasing decisions and we can continue to vote with our feet, vote with our dollars, et cetera, and and drive progress forward from that perspective. The other thing I'll mention when we talk about voting with your dollars is, of course, there's the legitimate, I'm sorry, the um, direct way to do that, right, which is purchase or not purchase things. But the other thing that's interesting when you think about that effect multiplied is when companies or even When investors are looking at funding companies that are in specific spaces that are starting to see movement, that becomes a lot more attractive. So, for instance, um, you know, Brightly has investors, and we go out and we pitch and we try to get more of them. Every year it gets—I mean, jeez—I can't say every year it gets easier because it does not. I mean, fundraising is difficult. We're going through some kind of crazy um, market situations right now. But in terms of me having to convince people that sustainability is a thing, that's gotten easier every year. It was not quite as easy um, when we founded this company about five years ago. So that is because of you, listeners. We, as a society, are, are saying we care more about sustainability. We're not just saying it out loud. We're we're doing. Uh, we're showing um, the powers that be that we are we're serious about this by our consumption patterns. So good for you. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but Ziploc just came out with their own version of stasher bags and. I'm very conflicted about this because, on the one hand, Ziploc is, like, you could argue, one of the biggest contributors to single-use plastic in the modern home, right? We all got addicted to using those little plastic sandwich baggies, which they really pioneered. Um, but now they've seen so many people buy stasher bags or silicone reusable silicone bags that they've thought that they wanted to get in on... Um, on the trend. So now you can find them at the grocery store. Whereas before you might not have found those Stasher bags because, you know, maybe that the grocery was not stocking them, but of course the gro- the grocery is going to stock Ziploc bags. Um, the one thing before you go and feel awful about Stasher getting, you know, copied, Stasher actually was acquired Man, a long time. But acquired by SC Johnson, right? And SC Johnson is—I just had to Google it while I was talking to you. I couldn't remember what the what the company was. SC Johnson, and um, that's who owns them now. I'm not saying that we should not give credit where credit's due. Stasher was actually founded by an Iranian-born American entrepreneur, a woman named Kat Nori. I'd love to talk to Kat. Let's get her on the podcast because I feel like that would be fascinating. Um, but she was the one who made up this. She created the silicone sandwich bag and so would love to talk to Kat. Has been has since been sold to SC Johnson. So now, wait, who owns Ziploc? Ooh, hold on. I'm going <laughs> to, I would have looked this up before listeners, but is it SC Johnson? Oh, uh, it is. Ooh. Ooh, the plot thickens the plot thickens I thought maybe they did interesting if you could see me now I'm like have my little conspiracy um strings going around so it appears SC Johnson a long time ago bought stash airbag, bag knowing full well that they were buying a competitor to their bread and butter of the Ziploc bags and then they waited for a while to get the sales data on it and perhaps the design on it now they've released their own version. And maybe in the future, we won't call them stasher bags anymore. Hmm. Again, the plot thickens. We we still communicate um, and, and sell and love stasher bags. Um, they still, I believe, they're still their own separate entity. I mean, everybody that we've ever talked to is, you know, still under the, the umbrella of stasher. And I believe they still have their own CEO. But, very interesting. Well, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent about... Um, Stasher bags and Stasher bag ownership. But I did. So maybe that was an interesting bonus for you if you stayed to the end of this episode. Um, But the point I was trying to make, bringing everything all back, is that even if you think the acquisition of a company like Stasher, a small company who made a really big difference, I believe they were even on Shark Tank at one point before they were acquired. um, Even if you think that that's not a good thing, which you could probably debate that, whether or not it make, makes sense, at the end of the day, now, the technology behind Stasher is going to be more widely distributed and perhaps made cheaper because of the immense scale that S.C. Johnson can can provide. And whether or not we feel personal decision, personal feelings about that company owning it. We can't argue with that, at least. We can't argue with the scale, the accessibility, and the affordability that that situation is now going to bring to the concept of a single-use plastic bag. So when we think again about having the biggest impact that we can, you may or may not be a skeptic as you listen to this podcast. You may think what I do as an individual does not matter, but I'm here to tell you it really does. And when we listen to reports like this, when we see what people are actually buying and and doing with their 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 hard-earned dollars and then their free time what they're using to you know learn learn about like listening to this podcast i remain extremely hopeful i think we've just scratched the surface and i am encouraged by the fact that studies like these do show a general support across all parties for various initiatives that can fight back against climate change, right? Not every single one, but in general, we're moving forward in a more positive direction than I'd say we would we were 10 years ago, where there, was, there were much fewer people 10, 20 years ago that actually thought that climate change and global warming and all of the things that make up the term climate change were actually a thing. So listeners, I hope you enjoyed my podcast today. Um, as always, please let me know some feedback. Um, and I, li- you know, we're going to include links to some of what I just mentioned earlier. Um, in the show notes, there's a few podcasts that I recommend you go back and watch. i sorry, watch, listen to. <laughs> My brain gets a little mushy towards the end of these. Um, uh, a few podcasts that I recommend you go back and listen to that we've done. Um, and then we've got a bunch more coming up with more founders, more guests, I'm not just going to talk to you by myself all the time. I would, we would never do that to you, but you do seem to enjoy these. So, um, we are going to have even more content come your way very soon. All right, listeners, thanks so much for joining me. joining us on another episode of Good Together. To get show notes and more, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. Finally, don't forget to join in on the conversation with us on social media. You'll find us on almost everything at brightly.eco. Don't forget, we're all on this journey together. So have fun putting the planet first and stay curious.